Well, we've had a great time together around the Word of God. I was sitting there thinking, uh, there really is nothing like being with God's people. And uh, there's a certain joy that only Jesus can give. And frankly, people live their entire life trying to figure out what the secret of happiness is. May I tell you in a word tonight? It's Jesus. That's what it is. And with that in mind, I want you to open the Word of God with me once more to the gospel according to Matthew, to Matthew chapter number 5. Because Matthew 5 is really, I think, in a, in a summary statement, the Lord's definition of happiness. If you really want to know what the blessed life looks like, let me just tell you, it doesn't look like what you see in the community. It doesn't look like what you see on television. It doesn't look like what you may imagine in your mind. Look into the Word of God and listen to what Jesus has to say. I wish I could have been there on that mountain when Jesus spoke uh, the very first time. Never a man spake like this man, they said. This was not just another rabbi. This was not just another teacher, another prophet. No, no, no. Look, when he opened his mouth, it wasn't just words coming out. The very truth of God was coming out of him. In fact, Jesus Christ himself is the truth. Look, please, I'm going to try to speak the truth tonight. How many of you think it would be good if I spoke the truth? Yes? But Jesus didn't just speak the truth. Jesus was the truth. So when he began to speak in Matthew chapter number 5, the truth captured these people. Look at verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. I've marked in my Bible the multitudes and his disciples because there are always two groups of people. There are those who know Christ, and there are those who do not know Christ. There are really only two groups of people on the mountain that day. There are those that would receive the truth and those that would not receive the truth. Let me give you a little forewarning, all right? I'm not going to preach half the night tonight. And all God's people said, yeah, I knew that would get an amen out of a few of you. Uh, most spiritual, some of you have been a long time, right? I'm not going to preach half the night tonight. But when I finish preaching in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to apply this truth. I'm going to ask you to do something and respond to the truth because you can't be neutral on Jesus. You have to accept or reject, say yes or no, believe or un don't believe, obey or disobey, but you've got to choose whether you're going to be just one of the multitudes or one of the disciples. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them saying, and so begins the section of the Sermon on the Mount that is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. How many of you ever heard that term before in your life, the Beatitudes? And it's powerful. It's how the Sermon on the Mount begins and if you'll permit me, I'm going to read all of the Beatitudes tonight until we come to the final one, which we'll look at in this hour. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. If you've not done this already, I want you to take a pen out, would you please? And I want you to mark in your Bible all of these great blesseds in this list. Mark it in your Bible and your thinking. In verse 3, we started here, blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about the blessing of poverty, not material poverty, but spiritual poverty, recognizing that you, you are a sinner, and that you need God, that you have nothing and God has everything. And he says when you get there, then you have the whole kingdom at your disposal. And then we studied verse 5 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, and we learn this little secret of going through. Look at it, please. In verse 4, you go through mourning into God's comfort. You go through meekness into all God has for you. You go through hunger and thirst after righteousness to God's fullness. You go through mercy to obtain mercy. So the Lord says, if you want the promise, then you've got to apply the principle. You've got to make this your own. And then last evening, we concentrated on verse 8 and verse 9 the pure and the peacemakers. The beautiful reflection of the nature of who God is. Who is God? He's the pure one and he is the ultimate peacemaker. Tonight, I bring you to the climax of the Beatitudes. Now, remember, it was just the introduction of the rest of the sermon. Some of you are saying, well, praise God, you're not preaching the whole sermon if it's taken this long to get through the introduction. But that's really what the Beatitudes is. It's just the introduction to the sermon. And the climax is fascinating because in the climax, he brings us back to the reality that we live in. He brings us to the pain of earth and to the promise of heaven. Oh, I love this thought. The Lord Jesus brings us to where God's people must live now and he brings us to what we are looking for very shortly. Look at verse 10 and verse 11 again. The Bible says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. In other words, if you become a true follower of Jesus Christ, it will cost you. We're living in a world of cheap faith. Frankly, we're living in a world where people attend religious institutions and, and give mental assent to somebody like me standing up speaking and may even write down something or nod their heads occasionally and say, oh, yes, yes, I believe that. But their faith has made no real difference in the way they live their life. I want you to know Jesus did not come to fill a church pew. He did not come, pardon me, to make some American Christianity popular so everybody would feel better about themselves. That is not the Christianity of the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ came for one purpose, and that was to call men to repentance and to simple faith. He did not come simply to get them to make a decision. He came to make them true disciples of himself. And I want you to know, look at the passage, please. If you live in verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, you will have to live in verse 10, 11, and 12. It's just the way it works. Nine weeks ago, I was preaching in Iowa. I was on a call on a Monday afternoon and a conference with 
lots of people, and I got a phone call from the Middle East. I just hung up the phone just maybe 30 minutes previous to getting the phone call uh, with one of my dearest friends on earth. All of our books he helped put together, all of the daily podcasts, everything we've done in our work, he and I labored together in. One of my dearest friends on earth, I never had a brother, but he was like my brother. The last phone call I had with him, the last words he said to me were, I love you. He and his wife, four beautiful children, living in a very difficult part of the world, frankly. He wasn't there to get rich, I'll tell you that. He wasn't there to be popular. He was there for one reason. My friend was passionately in love with Jesus. And Jesus Christ had changed his heart. So much so that he had given his life to live and labor in that part of the world, not to, not to build some institution, not to accomplish something for his own agenda. He was there simply to tell people about Jesus. About 15 or 20 minutes after he and I had hung up the phone, my friend was killed. I've read about a lot of people who were killed for their faith, to death while they were serving the Lord around the world. But until nine weeks ago, that was all history to me. It was just somebody's biography, you know. And nine weeks ago, these verses, they came to mean something different to me. And my friend really died before he died. Long before he ever got on an airplane, went halfway around the world, moved his family to a difficult location. Long before any of that happened, my friend had already accepted the fact that he was going to leave this world from somewhere and he wanted to leave this world from wherever God wanted him to be serving. I'm really not preaching right now. I'm just testifying. For the last nine weeks, I've done a lot of heart searching because we live comfortably. So do you. The reality is most of us are so spoiled. We've been so well cared for. Even, even those of us who've had to struggle and, and work through some things, we, we've been so everlasting blessed with material comforts and conveniences and, and all of the things we think we have to have to live, even as followers of Jesus Christ, that I fear that too many of us have forgotten that perhaps the greatest blessing of all would be that God would choose us to take our stand and give our lives for him. And for most of us, we say, that's a world away, preacher. That's... I'm going to tell you what I'm observing in the current culture and climate that we are living in. I'm convinced, by the way, there are people around the globe right now. I'm talking about true followers of Jesus. And look, God doesn't love you and me any more than he loves them. There are some true followers of Jesus tonight who are being persecuted for their faith and put to death because they're followers of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be praying for every one of them because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And someday, we're members of the family of God, right? Someday, we're going to meet together at the Father's house. Isn't that going to be a glad reunion day? But I want to tell you, I believe that in our, in our world at this time, persecution is advancing even in our own beloved nation. And I shudder to think, I really do, 
this touchy-feely kind of Christianity that makes everybody feel good on Sunday and live like they want to the rest of the week, I really wonder what kind of stand those people are going to take when the persecution comes. I tell you, this is not a day for weak, anemic, lackadaisical, half-hearted Christianity. This is a day for men and women to know that their sins have been forgiven, that heaven is their home, that Christ belongs to them, and they belong to Christ. This is the time for true followers of Jesus Christ to say, I will take my place and do my part regardless of what it will cost me. And so we come to the ultimate blessing. I suggest to you that the ultimate blessing would be to be so identified with Jesus that perhaps even you would be counted worthy to be persecuted as our Lord was persecuted. This is my last time to preach to you this week. Somebody said, I I wish you'd end on a a more positive note. Well, I'm sorry you have to take that up with Jesus. Because I didn't make this list. I'm not giving you my ideas. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And I'm telling you that the same Christ that came to bring blessing, look please at verse 10 and verse 11, says that there is a definite blessing connected to those who will follow Jesus Christ and give their life to that which counts for eternity. Last evening I spoke on purity and peace. Tonight I'm speaking on here and heaven. Do you understand that Christians actually are connected to two worlds? At the same time, how many of you are breathing right now? Would you raise a hand toward heaven? You're breathing right now. Congratulations. Isn't that nice? You know what that means? That means you are here. (laughs) Yeah. How many of you are glad to be here? Yes? Sure. But if you're a true follower of Jesus, there is an eternity awaiting you that is just as real. No, no, more real than this world is, and that is heaven on the other side. We we have life now, but we have eternal life awaiting us. And here's the secret. Please don't miss this. God's people must not be living here for here. God's people must be living here for heaven. In other words, time passes so quickly. Have you lived long enough to figure that out? My wife and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary and our our oldest daughter is now married and our youngest is getting ready to graduate from high school and I'm watching life tick away and realizing how quickly time moves. But please don't miss this. We're not living in time for time. We are living in time for eternity and Jesus connects the two. Please, please connect these in your thinking. The Lord Jesus wants you to live here a certain way and be ready for heaven when you meet Jesus face to face. Here, we have his presence with us. (laughs) In heaven, we get to go be with him. You know, honestly, you can't beat being a Christian. Jesus comes to live in your house now, and you get to go live in his house forever. I'd say that's a pretty good deal right there. Here, we have struggle. You know what every struggle reminds you? That this world is not your home. You're just passing through. In heaven, there'll be no more struggle. In fact, Revelation chapter 21 says that God's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes and there'll not be any more sickness or death or crying or sorrow for the former things are passed away. He said, I make all things new. Oh, I'm so glad that I know the God of here and the God of heaven. And Jesus Christ has made it so that his followers connect their lives here to what truly matters when we get there. Do you understand that in time, some things mean less and less? 
you're young, you have a certain idea about things, don't you? About money, jobs, houses, big ideas and agendas. And then you live a little while, excuse me, you get the snot knocked out of you. You get sucker punched by life a little bit. And you start to realize some things just don't matter. Can I tell you what matters? One thing, knowing the God of heaven. And if that's what matters in the end, that's what matters now. And do you know why Jesus gave this Sermon on the Mount? Do you know why he gave these Beatitudes? Because he was revealing what the heart of the Heavenly Father was for all of his children. Look, the Heavenly Father wants his children to enter into the blessing, to to know every good thing that God has for them. That doesn't mean there's not going to be stress and struggle and strain in life, but it means in the midst of all that, the Lord brings the reality of his presence. And by the way, that is only possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. And someday, what we're reading here in Matthew chapter 5 will be our reality in the kingdom. Isn't it going to be nice when Jesus sets up his kingdom and rules and reigns? And this is what it's going to look like. But until then, we have the joyous privilege of having a little foretaste of that on this side, here and heaven. So let me give you three or four truths. Would you write them down tonight? They all come from these verses. Number one, I want you to see persecution. Persecution. Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse number 33, in the world ye shall have tribulation. He promised it. Paul wrote to Timothy and said this, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, people read the Bible and sometimes they just read the parts they want to read. You know what I'm talking about? But if you read the Bible and pay very close attention and start looking at all the great characters of Scripture, you're going to find something. And it might shock you to know that almost every Bible character we admire, almost every one of them we say is a great example of faith, almost every one of them to a man or to a woman was persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Moses, Moses had his Pharaoh to deal with. That's what he had. And David, David had his Saul to deal with. And Elijah had his Ahab to deal with. And Daniel had his den of lions to deal with. And the three Hebrew boys had their fiery furnace to deal with. And John the Baptist had his Herod to deal with. And Jesus had a whole lot of enemies to deal with. And Peter and John, they had the jailer to deal with. And Paul, he had Rome to deal with. Do you understand that if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that all the problems go away and that it's sunshine and smooth sailing from here to heaven. Here's what it means. It means, watch this please, that the devil who hates God is not going to like what God is doing in your life. From the very beginning, everything God ordained, Satan opposed. You be very sure of this. Where God is working, Satan is fighting. Now, I'm just going to tell you something, church. On the Lord's Day, we saw numbers of people come to faith in Christ, and we give God glory and praise for that. I told the pastor earlier, coming into these meetings and sensing a spirit of expectancy and prayerfulness and people talking and testifying about what God is doing in their life, I rejoice in every bit of that, but you be on guard. Know this for certain. The enemy hates anything that God is advancing in this world, and it should not surprise you if the devil starts fighting the spiritual work that God is doing in your life. And so the persecution comes. 
Mark two words in your Bible. Maybe this will help you understand the persecution. In verse number 10, would you mark the word righteousness? It's not just persecution. People get persecuted for all kinds of things. This is persecution for righteousness sake. Peter said, not for evil doing, but for doing the right thing, for being a true follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe, just maybe, we have not known much persecution because there's not been enough of the righteousness of God revealed in our lives. Let that sink in just a moment. This afternoon, I took a little run a nearby park. At this age, it's more of a jog for Jesus than a run, but I moved around a little bit. And, and there were two or three people there in that park, and I, I can't explain this to you. I had gospel tracks in the car, but I was out there, and I saw these people, and I th thought to myself, I wonder if those people know the Lord. I finished what I was doing, went back by the car and got a handful of those tracks and made another loop. Almost to a person, everyone was kind, gracious, and received a piece of gospel literature and a brief word about Jesus. I came back out, and there were two very religious people sitting there giving out leaflets. And I struck up a conversation. They knew who I was. I been out running and out of uniform, you know, sweaty and nasty. And, and I, I said hello to them, and I offered them a piece of literature, and they took it. And they were a little surprised when I said to them, I'm a, I'm a preacher, I'm here speaking in a local church. And the woman said to me, she said, well, what are you speaking on? Oh, that was a wonderful question to ask, wonderful. And I said to her, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm preaching from the Sermon on the Mount, his sermon, but I'm speaking about Jesus. And we had a pleasant conversation. They were very respectful and very kind and let me give a word for the Lord. And I thought as I got in the car and drove away, now, now you listen to me, please. Do you understand it's easier for me to stand up in an auditorium like this and preach to a whole bunch of people than it is to strike up a conversation with one person in a park? Somebody said, but preacher, you're an evangelist. Yep. You, do you know what preachers are? I'm going to tell you what preachers are. They're dressed up sinners. That's what they are. And don't look at me so pious. You're dressed up sinners too. And I battle me. And I'm just going to tell you, I like coming in a place where everybody says, oh, we're glad you're here and it's wonderful. We want to hear the sermon. I like that. But to stand out there, excuse me, in the enemy's territory where people hate God, where they take the name of Christ in vain, where they mock the gospel, where they say there is no heaven and is no hell, look, that's where the real test of our faith comes in. Are you willing to stand up and be counted for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to stand for righteousness' sake? In case you hadn't noticed, this world is no friend to Jesus. You ever wonder why Jesus Christ is the only religious leader's name anybody ever curses in? I mean, tell me. Tell me, please. Name any major religion and tell me why the main religious leaders or, 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 or prophets or preachers or, or apostles or whatever name they go by, why their names are never taken in vain. I'm going to tell you why. Because there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. 
And hell shudders at the name of Jesus. And heaven rejoices at the name of Jesus. And all earth needs to hear the name of Jesus. And how shall they ever know the name of Jesus except some of the Lord's blessed followers reveal that they are true followers of Jesus Christ willing to stand for righteousness' sake. There's a second word I want you to mark. It's in the next verse. In verse number 11, would you mark the word revile? Righteousness, that's, that's why we stand. That's why the persecution comes. And revile, that's what the persecution looks like. There's all kinds of persecution. There's, there's the persecution of hand. That's where people beat you up. First martyr in Scripture, his name was Stephen. First martyr in the New Testament. He was stoned to death. That's persecution now. The writer of Hebrews says, you've not yet resisted under blood striving against sin. You know, I want to say, I think when we get to heaven at the judgment seat of Christ, some of us are going to be pretty ashamed when we stand next to the martyrs and tell Jesus what a hard time we had. Well, you know, Lord, our culture was really tough. Stephen was stoned for his faith. Sometimes the persecution is they, they give you the silent treatment. They ignore you. They shun you. They push you away. I know people who, for their faith in Jesus, have been willing to endure that. But I'm going to tell you, the hardest thing you have to deal with sometimes is when they open their mouth and they just spout out and they revile against you. Words wound. And people mock and they laugh and they say all kinds of things. But I want you to remember something. When Jesus Christ hung in naked shame on the cross of Calvary, he wasn't there for him. He was there for you. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he identified with fallen humanity. He took our sin and he took our hell and he took our judgment and he took our death and he took our shame. He took all of that, though he deserved none of that. And why did he do it? He did it so we could be saved and have our sins forgiven. Don't you think God's people ought to be willing to take a little reviling for the one who gave his very blood for us? And so the reality of persecution is seen in this passage of Scripture. Look, you shouldn't, you shouldn't want it and you shouldn't seek it, but you should expect it because if you become a true follower of Jesus, it will cost you something. There's a second word I want you to write down. It's this. Jesus not only shows persecution here, he shows his provision here. Aren't you glad that for everything we deal with, the Lord is more than enough? Now, what is his provision? Would you mark the first word of verse 10, please, church? It's a familiar word. What's the first word of verse 10, class? Blessed. What's the first word of verse 11? Would you say it, please? Blessed. He gives his double blessing. Do you know what the Lord's provision is? The Lord's provision is the joy of the Lord. Our ministry is called enjoying the journey, and some people have the idea by that that it means you try to teach some kind of life, you know, where everybody's just having a great day every day. Look, every day is not the gladdest day you've ever lived. Let's take a survey, all right? How many of you had any problem today to deal with at all? Would you raise your hand, please? Yeah, don't point at anybody. Just raise your hand. All right, good, wonderful. We have problems in our families. We have problems at work. We have problems in the community. We have problems everywhere. You know who I have my biggest problem with? Me. We all have problems to deal with. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that the Lord has made it so that his joy, don't miss this, comes into our lives not after all the problems are fixed but right in the middle of what we're going through. 
In the middle of the storm, his peace. In the middle of the battle, his victory. And in the middle of the persecution, his blessed joy. Did you ever notice, by the way, these these three verses are one beatitude. Did you ever notice that he actually gives two blessings for the persecuted? I love that. There's, There's one blessing for all the rest, but there's two blessed for those who are persecuted. Do you know why that is? Because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And I have no idea who I'm preaching to tonight, but I guarantee you, under the sound of my voice right now, there's some men and women having a hard time and some of you really struggling and dealing with something. I want you to know something. The joy of Jesus Christ will be yours if you will simply be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Well, that's not a promise that all your problems will go away. It is a promise that Jesus Christ will be with you in the middle of all of that. And then, don't miss this, in verse 10 and 11, he says, blessed, blessed. And in verse 12, he turns the promise around into a principle and he gives a command. What's the command? Rejoice. We must choose to rejoice. We must choose to live in the joy of Jesus. Oh, Dr. Robertson used to say, two men behind prison bars, one looked at the mud, the other the stars. May I encourage you to do something tonight? Turn the news off, open the word of God, get your eyes off of men, get your eyes back on Jesus, and remember that the joy of Jesus is a reality in the worst of circumstances. And so in the midst of the persecution, God's provision is this wonderful joy. What is the joy? Well, there's the joy that he's with us right now where we are. He's with you. How many of you know Jesus as your Savior? Would you raise your hand? Then Christ lives inside of you. What do you think about that? The creator God of the universe in you. That's joy to me. How about this? How about joy that in the persecution, God is advancing his cause? I challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to do something. Right now on our daily podcast, we're studying through the book of Acts, and it's reminded me of this. Do you understand that when persecution has been its worst against God's people, the church has always advanced the most? That's fascinating to me. Study history. When the persecution comes, the Lord is always giving his miraculous power to advance the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in that. And then ultimately, look what Jesus said. He said, rejoice because you've got a reward coming on the other side. Aren't you glad for the child of God? The best is yet to come. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. It has not entered in the heart of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But I want to tell you tonight on the authority of the word of God, the Lord has plenty of joy here on this side to lead you all the way through to the other side. Here and heaven. So it brings me to a third word. Would you write this down, please? There's not only persecution and provision, but there's a promise. This is where we move from where we are to where we're going to be someday. My friend, for the last nine weeks, has been in heaven. It hit me sitting here on the front row tonight. Can't believe it's been nine weeks. For the last nine weeks, he's been in heaven. Now, I don't think he's marking time there like we are because he's in the place where there is no more time. Matter of fact, we all get to heaven on the same day. I think my friend's just going to turn around and I'll show up and be there. Say, how can you say we all get to heaven on the same day? Because the Bible says there's no night there, so it's one eternal day. lost in the presence of God, just just enjoying all that God has prepared for us, the path of the just as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Oh, can I tell you what I'm praying for you tonight? I'm praying that more and more you will know the blessing of God on your life and family and this church until eventually you step out of this world into the world to come into the eternal blessing. That is the promise that Jesus brings into the life of the child of God. Matter of fact, let me just show you something. Can we take a detour? Put your left hand here. Put your left hand. Don't lose your spot. Go to the end of the New Testament with me just for a minute. Go to 1 Peter, would you please? 
I, I see so many Christians, honestly, that are living absolutely miserable, defeated lives. And I tell you, it shouldn't have to be that way. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 13. I know, I know the world's bad. That's everybody's favorite verse right now. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. I know. And look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake. Sound familiar to anybody? Look what he says. Happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Listen, church, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Turn one page in your Bible. Look at chapter 4, verse number 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Look at verse 13. Did you know this is the same word he used in Matthew chapter 5? It's the exact same word Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Hey, you think the joy of Jesus is great here. You haven't seen anything yet. Wait till you get in the presence of Almighty God someday. And then look at verse number 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Be careful now, look at me. People say, well, we want the Spirit of God to rest on us. We really want the Spirit of God to rest on this meeting. We want the Spirit of God to rest on this work. I'm going to tell you, one of the ways the Spirit of glory and of God rests on people is through persecution. Through the most difficult thing you could ever imagine, it may be the means of God opening the door for the salvation of someone that you desperately love. And what is his promise? I'll be with you in the middle of it, and on the other side, I've got more for you here and heaven. His promise is that heaven is real. His promise is that reward is coming. His promise is that the reward there is greater than the reproach here. Listen to me. You are in good company if you are being persecuted for following Jesus. You're in the company of the prophets, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. And if that were not enough, you're in the company of Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2 says that our Lord Jesus Christ endured the cross. Don't miss this phrase. For the joy that was set before him. On the other side of all this mess, and we're living in a mess right now. Can we agree on that? On the other side of all this mess, I declare to you tonight, there is joy for the child of God that has been faithful to the name of Jesus Christ. You don't believe me? Let them testify. Let John Bunyan testify. Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan who wrote it from a, from a jail cell in Bedford, England. I've been to that place where Bunyan was, was chained and, and held in prison because he would not stop preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and separated from his family for months and months and months at a time. Think of that man so persecuted there. Oh, but friends, he is now in the place he wrote of. He's in the celestial city. And I tell you that now none of that matters. In fact, go back to Matthew 5. Did you know that this beatitude was actually printed on John Bunyan's autobiography on the title page? (laughs) Somebody said, well, I want my life first to be something really positive. Well, John Bunyan said this was his. 
Blessed are you that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm seeing so much watered-down Christianity today where people want to just feel better, let somebody tickle my ears, let somebody entertain me, let somebody make me feel better. I'm going to tell you what we need at the end of the church age. We need a revival of some New Testament Christianity where some men and women and young people get so thoroughly consumed with Almighty God, they say, Jesus, whatever it costs me, I want to be used of you to make a difference in this world. And so it brings me to one final truth. Would you write it down? Because there is in this beautiful beatitude not only persecution and provision and a promise, but there is a purpose. And don't get scared. I'm not going to preach the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, but I want you to look at verse 13. Did you ever notice what the beatitudes lead to? See, I got to tell you, as a kid growing up memorizing the beatitudes, I always memorized them like, well, that's really nice sounding and that's a nice life. Isn't it crazy how selfish we can be even about our Christianity? Did it ever dawn on you, Jesus isn't just working in you so he can work in you, he's working in you so he can work through you? Here's the purpose, church. You want to know why God blesses? Look, please. God didn't bless you to be blessed. God blesses you to be a blessing. You're not a depository. You're a tributary. You're a channel through which the grace and truth of God can flow into a world that does not know God. And so look where he picks up in verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. What is the purpose? It's to make us salt in this world. Salt purifies. God knows this corrupt world needs some purifying. Salt seasons. God knows that God's people are supposed to be making folks thirsty after God. Salt preserves in a world that is falling apart and decaying. Salt must not lose its saltiness. You know what I'm praying coming in this meeting tonight? I'm looking at a bunch of salt. We're in the salt shaker. I'm looking at a bunch of salt right now. That's what I'm looking at. And I'm praying right now, dear God, make the salt more salty tonight. Make the salt more hungry after being so much like Jesus. Look, please, that your life can be a testimony of the glory and grace of Almighty God. I'll tell you why we haven't seen a great awakening in our land. Because the church of Jesus Christ has lost its saltiness. What's happened to us? Dear God, what has happened to the Christians? Where are those who are so full of the character and nature of Jesus Christ that when people see you, they don't see you. They see Jesus in you and they're attracted not to you or to some program at the church house or some fleshly thing somebody's doing on a platform. They are attracted to the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ being lived out through your life. This is the purpose of the blessing. Keep reading. Look at verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives the light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look at those three verses. Do you see the three lights? In verse 14, there's the light of the city, the light for purity and beauty and for guidance. In verse 15, there's the light of the candle that eliminates darkness and reveals what's in the shadows. And what does it lead to? Verse 16, the light of the Christian. What is the Christian to be? Well, the Christian is supposed to be so full of the God who is light that suddenly that light begins dispelling the darkness and revealing what's in the shadows and guiding men to God. Oh, Lord, raise up some people in this room who are lights for Jesus Christ. 
I'm praying tonight the salt will be more salty and the light will be brighter than it ever has been. I'm going to tell you what it's going to take. Do you know that salt, if it's left open to the elements, begins to absorb the impurities and after a while the salt becomes less salty? And we'll tell you what's happened to our salt. We've been so wide open to what's going on around us. We've been more in tune with conservative news than we have God's agenda. We've been more in tune with what's going on in this world than what Jesus wants done in this world. It is time for God's people to say, I'm giving myself fresh and new to Jesus. And I want all of my life to be given to all of him. And I want his nature and character to be produced in my life. You want your light to shine? Then bring your little candle to Jesus tonight. And say, dear Lord, it's, it's even dim. It's not burning like it used to. So, Lord, you trim the wick. And, Lord, you put oil in the candle. And, Lord, you light it again with the fire of the Holy Ghost of God so that my life will point many other people to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what will happen. You won't just be blessed. A whole city will be blessed. Because some of God's people started living in the blessing. We even take special meetings selfishly. I'm in them every week. We even come to meetings like this, and here's our attitude. Well, I really want to get something out of this. I'm not against getting something out of this, but let's turn the thing around. Look, if all we did was I preached a handful of sermons, I wasted my breath, you wasted your time. I mean, we just got something out of this? No, no. What are we going to do with what we've learned? Will it make salt? Will it, will it shine light? Who will be in heaven because of this meeting? I stood down here on the Lord's day with that 93-year-old woman that professed faith in Jesus. And I said to her, God bless you. It did something for my faith. It reminded me the gospel still works. That's good, isn't it? Jesus is still saving and the Holy Spirit is still calling people to repentance. I thank God for that. But listen to me. If we're waiting for meetings to get people in the building so they can get saved, we're never going to evangelize this world for Jesus Christ. We've got to get the salt out of the shaker and the light out of the barn. We've got to get outside of the special meeting and get out where the sinners are. When Jesus came to this world, he didn't stay at a distance. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And when Jesus left the great commission to the disciples in the church, he did not say, build you a building and open the church doors and let all the lucky sinners come find you. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You say, preacher, you seem worked up about it. I am and I pray God will work some of you up about it. I've taken as the theme for my year this year, 1 Corinthians 9, for the gospel's sake. You know what I'm praying this year? Could be my last year on earth. I was reminded of that. My friend, my friend was a year younger than me, 45 years old. His race is run. His work is done. It's finished. This could be my year. Every time I get on an airplane anymore, I think, <laughs> today could be the day. And I'm not trying to be morbid about it. I'm just telling you, I understand time is short and eternity is long. And whatever we're going to do, we better be, get after it right now. And I've committed myself this year more than ever to try to give myself to the work of the gospel. 
I'm glad I'm going to heaven. Anybody else glad you're going to heaven? Who are you taking with you? Who? Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? We'll have another meeting. The pastor said, we'd like you to come back. I'd love to come back, but I may not make it back. But we'll have another meeting. Oh, yes, we will. How many of you plan to be there? It's going to be a much better location too. We'll all gather around the throne. You know what I'd love? I'd love somebody there to say, I'm here. Because there was a meeting in a church and there was a man or woman in that church that dedicated themselves to get the gospel out and bring somebody to Jesus. And they brought me. Stop waiting on preachers to preach better sermons. And let the people of God get some salt and light in their souls. Get so full of the blessing of Almighty God that they can't help themselves. And I tell you, the world will know. The morning Stephen went to heaven. We had talked for 15 or 20 minutes. He was in the car that he'd be killed in with his wife. His wife lived, thank God. We were talking about a project we'd worked on and the Lord was blessing and he was so excited. He was just so excited. Lived half a world away from him, but he was my closest fellow worker and he was so excited. And then we were talking about the next project that we were going to work on together. And besides a few niceties and I love you, the last thing I remember my friend saying to me before we hung up were these words, Scott, we've just got to do more. And I can't get it out of my mind. He did not know he had but moments to live. Minutes from making that statement, he saw Jesus face to face. But I'm here. I'm still breathing. I had the health to stand up and walk to this platform, open the Bible and preach tonight. I'm going to tell you what I want to do. I want to be more of what God saved me to be so I can do more of what God left me here to do. For the child of God, praise God, we have here and heaven. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Oh, thank you for not letting me go to hell. Father, thank you for bringing me into the family. Just to call you Father. I'm so glad I'm your child. And Holy Spirit, thank you for working in me. Even, even now as we open the word, you're opening us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, God Almighty, shake us loose tonight. Stir us up. Not with some preacher's voice, but with the word of God. Light a fresh fire in us for here. 
and get us ready for there. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.